I can sing like you now, bro, no. The magic's not in the mic. Hey, we're doing good tonight, church. Stay standing for a moment, but we're doing well. Come on, isn't it good to be out here in the town hall lifting up the name of Jesus? There's a whole lot of other places we could be tonight, a whole lot of other stuff we can do, but I can't think of anything better than lifting up the name of Jesus. Come on, I don't think there's anything out there quite like the name of Jesus. And tonight, I, I, I want to start, in a moment I want to pray, but I just want to read a scripture. And tonight, I want, to, I, want, I, want, I want to read a scripture that's really going to be the foundation of the message tonight. And for a lot of us in the room, if you've been to church before, if you've, if you've, you've read the Bible before, you've heard someone preach before, this might be a scripture you've you heard and you're knowing, but I pray tonight your, your heart is open to the new things God wants to speak. I pray tonight our hearts are open to what it is God wants to deposit tonight. And so in the book of John, we find Jesus doing a whole lot of teaching. And then on the back of his teaching, he says a prayer for his disciples. And in the book of John in chapter 17 and in verse 16, this is just part of the prayer that Jesus prays for you and I. He says, they are not of the world even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. Then he says this, as you have sent me into the world, I send them into the world. I love the fact that we are not of this world, but we are in this world. That when it comes to our life, there's things that are different about us. We are not of it, but we sure are in it. Come on, why don't you turn to your neighbor and just say, come on, I'm not of it. But turn to your neighbor and say, but I'm in it. Come on, God, tonight, come on, let's pray. God, tonight we pray. Lord, as we turn to your word, as we look at your scripture, God, your word is truth. Your word brings life. Your word brings encouragement. It brings hope. It brings a better day. Lord, your word speaks to your goodness. And God, we pray tonight that you would speak in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. 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 Come on, church, one more time. Can you give God a big clap of praise? Come on, high five your neighbor and say, I'm looking good tonight. And grab a seat, grab a seat. Come on, sometimes you just got to own that fact. I'm looking good tonight. Every Kiwi in the room just struggled to say that. Right? I don't like talking about myself in a good way. Uh, but hey, it's a good time to be in church. And you know, I love that scripture. I love that thought. Uh, it's a common thought, but the fact that, that we are not of this world, but we sure do live in this world. That actually some things God has set us apart, and in some ways God has a, has a different thing and plan for us. But, but as God's people, we are not of the world, but as God's people, we are in the world. As ambassadors of Christ, as ones that point the way, as ones that shine His light. And tonight I, I really want to speak off a, off a simple thought, really, a, a, a simple idea. And, and the whole idea is, is simply this, is that here different rules apply. There's different rules that apply here. Let me explain. You, you, I grew up, for those that don't know me, hey, my name's Scott. Good to hang out tonight. It's good to meet you. Um, but uh, 
Let me explain that. I grew up in a, in a family. I had an older brother and an older sister. I was the baby of our family. Uh, and in and, and doing that, growing up, I like to consider, give it to me, I, I like to consider we, I, I was, we were a pretty normal family. We just, we were pretty normal. Uh, but one thing I come to realize, especially in the growing up, in the journey of life, is, is that as you grow up in life, you realize certain families have certain rules. And, and, and growing up in my household, there were certain rules, certain ways we did things that, that were just normal. It's just how things were done here. And then every now and again, you'd go to a friend's house, you'd go stay at someone else's house, and you soon realize that different rules apply. Uh, I, the biggest, one, one of the reasons, one of the biggest things I think of when I, when I think about this is I never forget going to a mate's house. And so I had an older brother and an older sister, but he, he had five brothers, he had five brothers, so, so the rules were completely different when there's five boys in the house. And uh, I remember going around, and we're just hanging out, and uh, we're just sitting around in the lounge, and one of the brothers goes, uh, he goes, hey, hey, should we, should we play some cards? Should we, should we just play cards? And I'm like, yeah, cards sounds like a pretty safe game. That, 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 that sounds good. And anyway, we play, and, and so we sit down, and I'm like, what do we want to play? And they're like, oh, we'll play Snap. I'm like 13 years old, and they were like pumped off it. They were like, we're going to play Snap. And I'm like, yeah, okay, cool. We'll go, I'll go along with that. It's a bit, a bit of a kid's game, but yeah, cool. We'll go with Snap. And anyway, so we, they deal out the cards, and I'm sitting there. I uh, got my pile of cards there. If you know how Snap works, it's not too complicated. But uh, uh, my pile of cards is sitting there, and, and all these boys, these five brothers are leaning in. Like, they're, they're, like, serious about this whole business. They're leaning in, and, and we're playing, and they're in there. They're getting, they're, like, pumped every time they win. And I'm, I'm sitting there. I'm like, it's just a card game. Like, and it's just snap of all the card games. It's like, like I was, we were the youngest. I'm talking, like, there were 16-year-olds, 17-year-olds. One of them was 20. I'm like, you guys are far too hyped off this game right now. Uh, and we're sitting in, and we're playing Snap, and so I'm just like, okay, I'm just going to play it cool. I'm just going to come. Anyway, it comes to the end. I'm playing it cool. That's so serious. I lose, right? It's just I lose. And so normally in my household, what happens when you lost the game is we'd gather the cards, shuffle them, and we'd deal again. And, but then, so we lose, and I, I start gathering the cards up to, to deal again, and they're like, hey, put, put, your, put your hand in the middle. And I'm like, Why? <laughs> I'm like, that's not how you play snap. Like, we, we, and I'm like, no, no, put your hand in the middle. I'm like, why? And they're like, because that's the rules. And I'm like, yeah, but that's not how I play. And they're like, yeah, but different rules apply here. We play different. And so I had to put my hand in here. All the boys went around and just hammered my hand. And, and next round, I was in there. I was, like, I was pumped. I was like, now I get it. Now I get it. But when, when I look through the Bible and I look at how God rolls and I look at what Jesus does and I look at what the disciples did, I come to understand them. And I guess the scripture starts to make a little bit more sense to me, the fact how we're in the world but not of the world. Because there's certain rules, there's, there's certain things in society where, where rules have its part to play. Where rules define certain things, where rules define, where, where society defines what possible. But I, when I look through scripture, I find out the fact that when it comes to God, different rules apply. When it comes to God, there's different rules that apply. You, you look all through scripture, you see it at the very beginning, you see it with Abraham and Sarah at an old age, giving up hope on the hope of having a family. But when it comes to God, different rules apply. 
where age no longer is a problem. When you look at Moses and the Israelites as they come before the Red Sea and all the Israelites is like, this is it, our time is done, it's over for us. The good news is when it comes to God, different rules apply because what you see is an ocean, I can create a pathway. When you all look through all our scriptures, you see examples of, of how a widow had only a little bit of oil left in her jar and in her mind. And when in the logic of the world, she goes, this is all I've got left to live on. But Elijah turns up and says, if you would give it to God, God would make sure it never runs dry. I'm so thankful that when it comes to supply, when it comes to God, there's different rules that apply. There's different rules at play. When it comes to Jesus with his disciples and a multitude to people. Hungry and starving, the disciples are like, we have to get wages for a full year to try and cover this. When it comes to Jesus, different rules apply. He's like, all I need is a kid's lunch and we can feed it all. And when you look all throughout Scripture, you find out the truth that when it comes to Jesus, when it comes to what God's capable of, when it comes to what's possible in God, there's different rules at play. There's different rules to what society has to say. When they say you can't do it, God is a God that says I can do it. Jesus finds himself with the disciples in a boat and the ocean is crashing along. And the disciples, the disciples wake Jesus up in the midst of a storm, worried and concerned. And they're like, we're going to drown here. And Jesus stands up and calms the ocean. The disciples look at Jesus and they say this. They say, even the waves and the wind obey his name. Because when it comes to Mother Nature, even different rules apply when it comes to Jesus. A lady for 12 years was bleeding. Doctors, everyone said, there's nothing we can do to help you out. It's just how it's going to be for the rest of your life. But when it came to Jesus, different rules applied. In a moment, she was set free. In a moment, she was held. When it comes to Jesus, friend, well, I got some good news. Whatever you think is your future, whatever you think your past is not going to enable you to do, whatever your bank account tells you what is possible, the good news tonight, church, is there's different rules that apply when you know Jesus. There's different rules that apply when you know Jesus. Peter was told, you're a fisherman, and that's your lot in life. For the rest of your life, you're going to do your father's business. You're going to carry on the family business. You're going to be a fisherman, or one day you'll hand that on to your son. Because generations that had what happened before him, generations that had what... That's what went on. But different rules applied when Jesus turned up. When what they said, you're just another fisherman, Jesus said, you're going to turn the world upside down. Jesus said, you're gonna, I'm going to take you and do something miraculous. I'm so thankful when it came to my life. Different rules applied. That a boy from the Coromandel, if I had it my way, I'd probably be in the bush somewhere. But different rules applied. God took a boy from the Carmando and placed him in the middle of the city with a heart to reach as many people as possible. That doesn't happen because of me. That happens because 
when it comes to God, there's different rules that apply to your life. There's different things that apply to your life. I don't know if there's anyone in the room tonight that thinks that that is good news tonight. Because regardless of your past, regardless of what you think you're capable of, the good news tonight is there is different rules at work. Jesus can do whatever he wants, whenever he wants to do it. God can move a mountain when he wants a mountain to move. God can break things open when he wants to break things open. God is not subject to our laws. God is not subject to our culture. God is not subject to our society. God is a law unto himself. God created the heavens and the earth. So whatever God wants to do, friend, the good news is, when it comes to God, different rules apply. I want to look at a, a passage of Scripture tonight, and it's found in the book of Daniel. Daniel's a great guy, great example on how to do life. Uh, and I want to pick this up, if you, if you jump with me, let's jump to Daniel 6. If you've been around enough, you, you know the story of Daniel and the lion's den. If you ever went to um, Kids Church or anywhere, really, you, you would have heard often of, of Daniel and the lion's den. But I, I, what happens in this moment of Scripture in, uh, in Daniel chapter 6 is it, 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 it baffles me a little bit. It convicts me. It confronts me a little bit. Um, but what's happening right now is you got to understand Daniel and all his people have been exiled from their land. So they had been ex- they had been taken from their land, and, and now they're living in a foreign land where the foreign land is, is working to strip their culture away, is working to try and strip their, their beliefs in God away. The culture at the time is, is, is the land I've been taken into has no regard for God, has no regard for God's values, has, has no regard for the way God lives. And, and, and I think sometimes we look at our society and we get so worried and, and, and so worried because in some parts society has, has stripped away some aspects of God and, and Christians can get a little bit worried about that. But the good news is, is, is God's been here before. God's gone through this before. God's dealt and moved and shifted society before. And as believers, we don't really have a whole lot to worry about when we understand when it comes to God, different rules apply. And so we find in, in, in Daniel 6, what's happened is, 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 is the, the officers and the administrators of the time have become jealous of Daniel because Daniel starts to find favor in the land. They became jealous of Daniel because Daniel started to find favor in the king. And then, and then so they, they, they come up with this plan to try and trap David, uh, Daniel. They come up with this plan to try, try and trap him. And it says this in, in Daniel 6, and we'll jump in at verse 4. It says, at this the administrators and the officers tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel in his conduct of government affairs, but they were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy, neither corrupt nor negligent. We'll get that out, team. We'll get through that one. Uh, in verse 5, it says, finally, these men Finally, these men said to themselves, we will never find basis for charges against this man unless it's something to do with the law of his 
God. They looked at Daniel's life and said the only thing he really cares about is the law and the way and his devotion towards his God. We've taken him out of a land of, uh, 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 we've taken him into exile. We've taken him out of his own culture. We've, we've already taken and tried to strip away his culture. But for some reason, he just doesn't seem phased by what's going on around him. You, you gotta like you gotta get that that Daniel has every right to be bitter, every right to be annoyed at them, every right to stand there and curse and cuss behind the king's back, every right to to get around his friends and complain about the state of the culture that they're in. He has every right to tear down and pull down because they came into his land and took his people captive. And he has in himself every right to be angry. But when they examine him's life, they don't find anything but devotion to the Lord. When they examine and they look at his life, they find nothing but pure devotion for the Lord. With every right to be angry, they only find devotion to the Lord. With every right to be corrupt and to turn their back on what's God's, what, where He is at the time, they only find pure devotion to the Lord. I remember reading the Scripture and two things happened. A, I'm really inspired. And B, really annoyed. Because how can anyone be that good? <laughs> how can anyone be that good? But, but I, I, I believe there's some, there's some passages in here that we need to look at because they could not find fault in him. But then in chapter 6, verse 10, it says this. Once David, uh, once Daniel, sorry, heard that the law had been put in motion, that he is no longer to worship his God. Once Daniel had heard that the law had been put in motion, that if you worship your God, you got a meeting with some lions. You're going to be thrown in a den. Once Daniel heard it, this is what it says in, in, in chapter 10. Now when Daniel learned the decree had been published, he went home in his upstairs room where his windows were open towards Jerusalem. Three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed thanks to God. I love this part. And it's when it says, just as he had done before. You gotta understand this is the culture he's in right now, the society he's in right now had just gone on a dramatic change from spiritual freedom you can worship your own God whenever you want. To clamping down and saying you can now only worship the king. A dramatic change in society. And Daniel just carries on as he always did. That Daniel just carries on as he always did. And I look at this scripture and I can only really come to, to one reason how he can just carry on as he always did. He didn't get down on his knees and start complaining about the government. He didn't get down on his knees and start getting angry about the situation. He didn't get down on his knees and have a big moan and get some group of friends around together. And just because sometimes complaining feels so good. And he didn't get them around and start doing that. No, what did he do? He carried on unaffected in his devotion to the Lord. 
Why? Because his devotion to the Lord wasn't subject to society around him. His devotion to the Lord wasn't subject to the rules around him. His devotion to the Lord was subject to a higher authority. And he understood who his higher authority was. And because he knew who the higher authority was, what was going on around him didn't faze him, didn't move him, didn't get him worried, didn't get him anxious. It just brought about a security where he got down on his knees and said, I know God, you're higher than this. Why the rest of the world is in chaos, God, I have calm in my spirit. I don't know about you, but it's so easy to look around society right now and get worried, get anxious, get nervous about what's going on, this, this, where things are going, and, 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 and how far we, at some points, we're drifting from the values of what we stand on. But what I love about Daniel is because he consistently outworked with respect, with honor. He lived in the world he was in with respect and with honor. He was trustworthy and diligent. He lived within the world that God had sent him to. With He was unshakable on the fact I'm living with honor. But at the same time, he was uncompromising on the values he stood on. He was uncompromising on the values he believed in. And I believe as a generation, especially a younger generation coming through, we need to live in the world we live in with love, with respect, with honor, with trustworthiness. But we need to be uncompromising on the values we stand on. We need to live in the world, but we need to not be of the world. We need to live with love, but stand in truth. We need to live in respect, but stand on the values we know. I wonder what would happen. I wonder the message that would be sent to the people around us if they, they looked at our lives and said, there's nothing. Nothing unshakable about them. I can't find fault. But the thing that gets me the most about this whole scripture is if we look in Daniel 6 verse 10, it says he got down on his knees and prayed. But it gives us a clue on how he prayed, what he prayed, what did he do on his knees. He gave thanks to his God. He got down on his knees and gave thanks to his God. He didn't even get down on his knees and beg for change. He got down on his knees and said, God, I thank you. You're always in control. God, I thank you. I've got nothing to worry about. God, I thank you that even though my job is on the line, even, even, even though my life is on the line, he got down on his knees and found reason to give thanks. I remember reading this early on this week and thinking if that guy found reason to get on his knees and give thanks, how much more reason do we have? How much more reason do we have to get on our knees and give God thanks? If a guy who had been taken out of his land and forced into another land put his life on the line and said, unless you turn from your values, you are going to die, could find a reason just to go home, get on his knees and say, thanks, God. I'm reading that and thinking, how much more reason have you and I got to give thanks. How much more reason right now, the fact we can meet in the public booting and give, lift up the name of Jesus. How much more reason, how much more reason do we have to give thanks to God? And I, I love that you look at the life of, of Daniel, you see the fact that although he was honorable in the way he lived in the world, he was unshakable in the way he lived. 
Although he was honorable in the way he was in the world, he understood the fact that I am not of this world, that actually I am of the kingdom. I am of a higher way of living. I, I, I am of a different set of rules, a different set of rules. And I don't know about you, but I've got a lot to give God thanks for. I give God thanks for the fact that if I had it my way, I'd hate to think of what I'd be doing right now. I give God thanks for the job I never got. Because if he didn't turn that job down, I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing now. Some of you got to give God thanks for that girl that didn't want to date you. Because <laughs> if you had to date her then, you wouldn't have found who God had for you now. Sometimes we've we got to learn what it means to get on our knees and actually start to think about all the things we've got to give God thanks for. Some of you in the room, you know you're not smart enough to have that job. You know you're not smart enough. You know you're faking your way through it. Welcome to the club. And I've got reason to give God thanks because I, he put me in a job. I, you just think that opportunity came your way. No, God made that happen. Some of you got to give God thanks for the fact that you got into university. Because you know the way you did high school, you don't deserve that. You know it. You know it's true. But for some reason, we, we can get so caught up in the concerns and, and what else is going on in society and the worries and the cares of society that we actually forget what God is doing at a higher level. Because sometimes I, 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 Daniel had nothing. His career was being stripped away because of this decree. His life was on the line because of what had been declared. His family, everyone had been exiled. But he found a reason to give thanks. I think that our danger in a developed world is we give thanks so often for so much material things like my job, my income, although God, that stuff is great. A man that was stripped of everything could still get on his knees and find reason to give thanks because although his life was governed by a higher rule, so his thanks came from a different place. Uh, I'm thankful that Daniel's thanks came from a different place. I remember I looked this up because, because that's what Esther does. And so I, I, I looked this up and trying to be like her. Um, I'm working on the whole voice thing. One day, team, I'm going to come out here and do that, sucker. But not today. We're work in progress. God is redeeming me. What happens is I looked it up, and that word, give thanks, it means to give thanks. <laughs> I, I was like, there's got to be something in here. Like he gave thanks and pleaded for his life. Okay. There's only one other time this, this, the way that he worded this give thanks was used in the Bible, and it was in Daniel chapter 2. It's like Daniel's own language here going on. And then chapter 2, there's a moment where Daniel's life was on the line again about interpreting the dream of the king. When his life was on the line again for interpreting the dream of the king. And if he didn't interpret it, he was going to be cut into pieces. It's quite graphic. That's what the Bible says. Sorry, team. He was going to be cut into pieces. And so what happens is God delivers the interpretation to the dream to Daniel. And when Daniel receives the dream, he gives thanks. And I read that and I'm like, that makes sense. 
my life, I'm about to be cut into pieces. I pray, God, you come through. I give thanks. To me, chapter 2 makes sense. But to me, chapter 6 doesn't. A decree gets put out that I'm going to end my life. If I stop worshiping you, God, so really this whole thing's your fault. This decree comes out that if I give my life to worshiping you, then, then, and, and then what he does, he doesn't, he doesn't go, God, help me, the lion's mouths get shut, and then he gives you thanks. He goes from decree, worry, anxiety to give thanks. To panic, nervousness, society unsure, people around him unsure, not knowing how to get through to giving thanks. Why? Because he's in the world, but not of it. So he, he, he's not shaken by the external things around his life because he can trust the everlasting thing inside his life. The reality that God is good. I love the fact that when I look at Daniel's life, I'm challenged. I'm challenged because of how trustworthy, how good, how flawless he was. I don't know, you might be able to relate with me. I feel like this is a safe, safe room here tonight. But there's been a time where I stubbed my toe and I, 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 I said some stuff under my breath. And it wasn't, thank you, Jesus. I, I, we all got a past, all right? <laughs> but I don't know about you, your life might not be like Daniel's. Where you've lived perfect, where we, we, people look at your life and can't find fault. Maybe, perhaps, maybe, people can look at your life and find a little bit of fault. Maybe, perhaps, maybe you can look at yourself and find a little bit of fault. But I'm so thankful, I'm so thankful that there's a God, even though my life isn't like Daniel's, there's a God that sent his son to die on the cross to take my place. So regardless of what I've done, there's a future for me. I'm so thankful. I don't get given what I deserve. I get given far greater than I deserve. If Daniel can find reason to not be so self-righteous, to not be like, God, I have lived my life for you unfailing. God, why are you doing this to me? But to get in such a humble position and say, God, I recognize all things come from you. God, all life comes from you. All creation comes from you. And God, I just give thanks that I know you. I just give thanks that I know you. I believe there's an unshakableness that comes to our spirit. When our thanks doesn't come from the standard of society, but our thanks comes from our devotion to the Lord. Above all cares, above all worries, above all financial pressure, above the Auckland housing market, Above that new car, above that job, God, I give you thanks. I give you thanks with it. I give you thanks without it. But the, uh, the disciples uh, set an example on what it really means to be thankful for us and what, what really sets such a high standard for us. And so I want to read it so you feel just as convicted as I do uh, when I read this. And I don't want to be alone in this. So Acts 5, 40 to 42 What's just happened is the disciples have been brought before the Sanhedrin, brought before the council. And they're trying to decide how to shut these guys up. They're trying to decide what to do with these men. They're trying to decide what's going on here. And so they bring them before the Sanhedrin and they're thinking about, do we kill them? Do we, do we, what do we do with them? How do we shut them up? And then a guy stands up and says, hey, 
if this thing is of man, it will die. But if this thing is of God, there's nothing you can do to stop it. If this thing is all just about man and what man has going on, yeah, we can control it. We can put rules around it. We can, but if this thing is from God, we can't touch it. It's going to do what it's going to do. Because that's kind of what God does. He does what God wants to do. And so what happens is in Acts 5, verse 40, it says, His speech persuaded them. They called the apostles and had them flogged. Then they were ordered not to speak the name of Jesus and let them go. The apostles left rejoicing, praising that they had been counted worthy to suffer disgrace for the name of Jesus. The guys had just been beaten. And in the beating, they find reason to give thanks. Why people are whipping them, they're like, oh, thank you, Jesus that I even considered worthy to take this beating in your name. Thank you, Jesus, you, could, you consider me worthy to carry this burden. Thank you, Jesus, you consider me worthy to fight this fight, to struggle through this struggle. Oh, Jesus, I'm so thankful that you considered me worthy to suffer on your behalf. What a standard of thanksgiving. No, oh, man, the bills are piling up. Yeah, good, that's cool. Oh, Jesus, you came through. Thank you, Jesus. That's cool. I, I give thanks for every small thing God does. But I reckon there needs to be a thanks that comes from a little bit of a deeper place. That's outside of materialism. That's outside of society's success structure. That's outside of what's going on and is rooted a little bit deeper in the glorious fact that my life did not look like Daniel's life. That I did stub my toe and I said a little bad word one time. But Jesus, you used me. God, I have a past, but you used me. God, I'm thankful that regardless of what I've been through, how big or how small, God, with the mistakes that I made that were so big and so small, God, even when I made wrong decisions and turned wrong ways. God, that you came in and you saved me. God, you turned my life around. And God, whatever you want me to do, God, I'm just thankful. I'm just thankful. What's crazy is what they do next. They've just been beaten and told not to talk about Jesus. And it says the day after, <laughs> day after day in the temple courts, from house to house, they never stopped teaching and claiming the good news of Jesus. They didn't even turn around and curse and cuss and get angry at the Sanhedrin for what they were trying to do. They just said, yeah, we'll take our beating. Thank you very much. We respect you. We honor you. We love you. But as in terms of the rules for my life, I'm sorry, but you don't get a say on what I do. God gets a say on what I do. And you might, if, if I have to take a beating to do it, oh, well, thank you, Jesus, I considered worthy. But I'm going to continue doing it because God sets the tone for my life. Jesus sets the tone for my life. You can imagine it. Like the next day, Peter, John, just being beaten. Like that, it says they go door to door. I was like, roll up to the door. Peter's nose is sideways, black eyes. <laughs> Like big scars down his back. Hey, I got some news for you. 
They tried to shut me up. They tried to tell me I couldn't talk about it, but I got some good news for you. I was destined to just be a fisherman, but a Jesus encountered my life. He turned my world around, and now I've got a purpose, I've got a hope, and I've got a future. Can you imagine it? Some of you have got to give thanks tonight that God isn't waiting for you to get all nice and pretty before He can use you. Some of you have got to give thanks tonight that God's not waiting for you to get cleaned up because if God was, we'd never do anything for Jesus. Some of you have got to be thankful tonight that God doesn't expect you to be perfect. He just expects you to be devoted, to be devoted to Him. You imagine if Peter's there, John's like, bung him, like, hey, I've got some good news for you. What our Jesus did, a standard of thanks that surpasses all knowledge, all understanding, but is rooted in a deep truth that God, but above all else, I'm so thankful that I know you. I'm so thankful for what you saved me from and what you're taking me into. And the last story I want to look at tonight, if Ethan can come do his little thing on the keys, to make this whole environment a whole lot more holy. And the last story I want to look at when it comes to Thanksgiving is, I believe this is what happens when we don't, when we don't get a deeper level of thanks in our life. When we base our thanks on God, on the results of what society would deem successful. Because that's the danger thing. We take our, we take our, we take our, we often take our bearings on what a successful full life looks like based on the the expectations and the pressures of what society would deem it. And then we judge the success of God based on the standard of society. We judge if God is doing good for us based on society. You can't judge God's work in your life based on what society would deem successful. Because according to society, Abraham had no chance of having a family. But he was right in the middle of the will of God for his life. He could have turned his back on God, got bitter, got angry, every right to, based on the laws of society. But in the will of God, even at an old age, he said it's not too late for you to have a family. I'm still doing it. That's good news for some of us in the room tonight because you thought you are going to be on a little further in life than what you currently are right now. You thought your career was going to be a little bit more developed. You thought that dream was going to have a little bit more fruit to it than it currently does have right now. According to who? Who sets the standard for your life? Because according to God, there's a good chance if you're devoted to Him, you're right where He have you. Right in the middle of what He's doing. And in Numbers 11, this is talking about the Israelites on their journey from Egypt to the promised land. It says, Then the foreign rabble who were traveling with the Israelites began to crave the good things of Egypt. And the people of Israel also too began to complain. Oh, for some meat, they exclaimed. We remember the fish we used to eat for free. Isn't that crazy? The fish we used to eat for free. It wasn't free. It cost them their whole life. Slavery was the price of free fish. Now looking back on, man, remember the, remember the good old days? Remember when things were like good before God came and mucked it all up for us? 
Because listen to this. And we had all the cucumbers, melons, leeks, onions, garlics we wanted. Thank you, Jesus, for the onions. But now our appetites are gone because all we got is this manna. All we got left is like this miracle that God pours out daily on us. But man, I remember the onions and the leek. Oh, back in the, yeah, yeah, it's like that dad talking to the, that child. It's like, back in the day, I had to walk five miles to school. And five miles, and then like the story, the more you tell it, it gets bigger. It's like five miles to school and bare feet. And sometimes it would snow. And I'd still, and it's like, you lived in Auckland. <laughs> it's like, but back in, you know, it's a, our memory gets distorted. Our memory gets so distorted. Distorted on what the past was like, distorted on what our other things. We, it's like, you won't realize that manna is a daily miracle that sustains you from your captivity to your promise. That's what the manna is. It might taste right now like a little bit of stale bread. But you got to realize what it is. It's a daily miracle. It's your daily substance. It's your daily substance that gets you from your captivity to your promise. Forget about onions. Forget about leeks. We're going to a land of milk and honey. The crazy thing is, do you know who started all the complaining? It wasn't the Israelites. It was the foreign rebel that traveled with them. If you don't know what rebel is, it's like the tag along. It's like the third wheel. On the Israelites' journey, some foreigners would come and tag along with them. They'd come, they, they'd come, they, they escaped Egypt with them, holding on to the back of their cloaks, saying, hey, we're coming with you. But they weren't God's people. They weren't God's people, so they didn't get what God was doing for them. They weren't God's people, so that the promise for them wasn't theirs. And so they looked at the manna as, oh, it's just manna. Like, it's, just, it's just stale bread. What's so good about it? But for the Israelites, they knew this was our daily substance to get us to where we got to go. And so what happens is the tag-alongs start complaining. And the Israelites start listening to the complaints of the people who are not of God. And complaining can be so contagious. And so they get hold of it and they're like, yeah, I remember the free fish. Just before they used to beat us up, they'd give it to us. But it was free. Oh man, and the onions. How good. And they miss the fact that daily in front of them, there's a miracle to give thanks for. God, I thank you for this daily manner because it's getting me to my promise. I think in life sometimes, especially in the developed world, that comes a little bit like things like grace. Oh God, the house hasn't come through yet. God, I haven't got the car yet. God, I haven't got the I haven't I haven't got what society deems successful yet. So 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 God, maybe perhaps look at my friends who don't follow you. They they don't seem to have a problem just devoting themselves to a career and caring about themselves. Man, perhaps why why perhaps I should be doing that. We lose the fact that God's like, no, 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 I got you on a journey. From your captivity to your promise. 
And the Bible says, like, every day His mercies are anew. We wake up in the morning and forget about the new mercies and complain that I've got to sit in at least 20 minutes of traffic today. Life is so hard. But this is what Thanksgiving does. It brings perspective to your situation. I pray we leave this place not walking out of here just going, oh, he said, she said, talk about this, complain about that. But tomorrow morning when you get up in the morning, take 10 minutes and thank God for all he's done for you. I guarantee it will change your day. I guarantee it will change your perspective. And if your perspectives change, the next thing that changes is your prayer life. The, Zach, the next scripture in Daniel, just for time we won't read it, says this. It says, after he gave thanks, he then prayed. Daniel did pray for God to come through. But before he prayed, he gave thanks to bring his heart back into perspective. So God, I pray, Lord, Father, that even if I do go to the den, let you be glorified. Because God, I, I just give you so thanks for how great you are. Thanksgiving shifts your perspective on life. It removes us from the perspective of a worldly view and into our, us into this perspective of what God is doing and what God is capable of and what God is. And tonight all I feel to do and say and, and encourage you to do, churches, can we just give God a little bit more thanks? Can we just give God a little bit more thanks? That you got breath in your lungs right now. Some of you know, because of your family history, you, there's no way you should be in this room talking about Jesus and God. You shouldn't know about that. Oh, God, I thank you. You interjected in my story and changed my life. And so tonight, what I want us to do, just stand to our feet. One thing I've found about Thanksgiving and a Thanksgiving that's not rooted in the success of what a world would deem a successful life, but rooted in the fact that I get to live every day knowing God. There's thousand people, thousands of people out there that don't know of His love. God, I'm so thankful. I don't know why, but for some reason you opened my heart up to you. God, I'm so thankful. But one thing I've found that Thanksgiving does is it brings your relationship with God alive again. And I feel like there's some people in the room and your relationship with Jesus has become a bit stale. And you're like, perhaps I need a new reading plan. I mean, turning up to church, you know, this message is good. Perhaps I just need to read another book. I want to suggest if your relationship with God has become a bit stale, perhaps you just need to start thanking Him that you have one. And be amazed at what He does in that moment. Be amazed at what God can do when it brings your relationship back to alive because you can just be thankful for it. I've got to realize in my prayer life when I start by just saying, Jesus, I'm thankful. I forget to pray about the things I was sooner complaining about because I'm so fixated on the bigness, the goodness, the gloriness of God that my mind can't complain it. And church, is there anyone in the room that's thankful tonight? Come on, that's thankful tonight that Jesus saved you, that He redeemed you, He got that job. Come on, thankful that there's a future ahead of you. Come on, 
And just for a moment, can we just give God a little bit of thanks? Come on, perhaps your relationship with God has become a bit stale. Come on, right now, just start thanking Him. Start thanking Him in this place. based on society's pressure. So he gets thrown into the den and what the officers and what the rulers of the time thought was gonna be the end of Daniel was just the beginning of Daniel. What they thought was gonna take him out, God used it to set him up. And I don't know about you, but I've got thanks in my heart that the things the enemy tried to use against me God doesn't play by His rules. God's got His own set of rules. And what tried to take me out, set me up. Come on, if you know. 